welcome to our last installment in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Let me pray as we get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've spoken to us in Daniel over the last few months. Thank you for visions that you've shown us of your world under your hand. And we thank you today for this word as you show what is yet to come. We ask please that we would see that though suffering is coming, we are in your hands and so we are safe that we would live as those who are wise according to your ways in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, humanity is fascinated by the future. So I'm just saying this so I can see it. Humanity is fascinated by the future. You may not realise it, but moment by moment, day by day, we constantly try and predict the future. Uh, on Friday night, Edwina was, uh, was cooking dinner. Uh, I was looking after the girls, and she said to me, David, it sounds like thunder. Now, me being the doting husband that I am, I know that that's code for something else. That's code for, is it going to rain, because I have three loads of washing on the line, which is now dry. If it rains on it, I'm going to be upset. So being the doting husband I am, I went outside and I had a look, is it really going to rain? So I had a look at the weather and... I could see some clouds. They looked like they were a long way off. They were up high. I went back inside. I said, oh, no, it is thunder, but it's a long way off. It's not going to rain. I'll show a while later. We were having dinner, and Edwina says to me again, is that thunder? And she made her prediction. I think it's going to rain. Now, thankfully, my wife is a very wise woman. And diplomatically, she said to me, well, how about while I go and start bathing the kids, would you mind just going outside and bringing the washing in? And being the doting husband that I am, I thought, all right, fine, why not? Very thankful, in fact, having avoided words when 10 minutes later it started pouring. We are fascinated by the future. We do it all the time. Have you ever said, I'm feeling lucky right now? Have you ever said that? I mean, usually kind of gamblers say it, but there are times we say, I'm feeling lucky today. And what do we mean by that? We mean, I think, today is going to turn out the way I want it to turn out. It's a prediction of the future. We do it day to day, but... Well, so I'm on turning the fan down, this one, so that it stops blowing pages around. Thank you, even though I love it. Uh, we do it on an individual basis, day by day. We also do it as a human race. Nostradamus, anyone heard of, of Nostradamus? A few people... He lived hundreds of years ago. He wrote a bunch of prophecies, predictions. They are still being translated, still being published, still being sold today in their millions of copies. We are fascinated by the idea that someone might be able to predict the future. Now the reality is though that the best we can do is make an informed guess. None of us knows what is going to come. None of us can truly predict what is going to come. And in fact, even the best of us quite often get it wrong. Let me show you some of my favourites. You can just Google wrong predictions of the future and you'll, you, can, you can spend hours laughing at people. Here are a few of my favourites. Uh, here's this one. There was an internal memo by Western Union who were one of the really big communications companies in 1876. And it says this, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Who's got a mobile in their pocket? They got that one slightly wrong. How about this one? X-rays will prove to be a hoax, said Lord Kelvin, the president of the Royal Society in 1883, something that we now take for granted. 
Are my bones broken? We look in an x-ray. A Boeing engineer said of this plane, the Boeing 247, there will never be a bigger plane built. That one seats 10 passengers. Airbus was the latest, seven, 800 people. I love this one. Uh, the president of the Michigan Savings Bank was advising Henry Ford about whether to invest in the Ford Motor Company in 1903. This is what he said. The horse is here to stay. The automobile, ah, it's a novelty, a fad. I can see two cars out the door, can't see any horses. Although Alison, I'm sure, would agree that the horse is here to stay. Alan Sugar, 2005. Next Christmas, the iPod will be dead, finished, gone, kaput. It changed, well... Certainly the uh, entertainment industry, it is ubiquitous. See, we're fascinated by the future, but not one of us truly knows what is to come. It's been illustrated for us in Daniel so far. In Daniel chapter 2 and in chapter 4, the kings of Babylon had visions. And these were visions that they were sure were very important. Visions, in fact, of the future. Visions of what is going to come. But they were unable to understand them. Or in chapter 5, the writing on the wall. What is the future going to bring they were unable to know? And so in Daniel chapter 2, for example, verse 27, Daniel says to the king, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. There is no person in the world who can tell you the future. But... In each of those chapters, as we saw, God intervened and God shows the future. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, Daniel says. And so as we move, let me give you a really quick recap of the book, right? Daniel chapters 1 to 6 were these enormous events that we saw with visions regarding the future and kings and the movement of powers in the world. In Daniel chapter 7, we moved into Daniel's study and we saw the visions that God showed him of the future. And so in Daniel chapter 7, we had uh, the four beasts, if you remember, who roamed the world. And in the middle of their destruction and fighting and all sorts of persecution happening, the Son of Man ascended into the heavens and was given all power to reign. In Daniel chapter 8, we saw the vision of, what was it, the ram and the unicorn goat. As they went at it, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks, 400 years of history after Daniel, God showed him the future, the immediate that was to come. Daniel chapter 9, after Daniel's prayer, we then had that, those strange 77s, whatever it was that that meant. But at the end of that time, God's Messiah, God's chosen king, was going to enter the world. Daniel chapter 10 and 11, we saw last week, again, another picture of those 400 years. As the kingdom in the north and the kingdom in the south were going to go at it hammer and tongs. And who was going to get caught in the middle? Well, tiny little Israel, that little land of Palestine where those wars would be fought. God can predict the future. In fact, God alone can predict the future because God alone controls the future. God alone can predict the future because God alone controls. It's almost like cheating. Uh, I can say to you, in three seconds, I'm going to pick up this remote, right? One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, go. Now, that was a prediction, but I'm the one controlling the action. It's not a prediction in the sense that we think of, of maybe it'll happen. I'll make an informed guess that perhaps this thing will occur. 
But God himself is telling us what he is going to do. God can predict the future because God alone controls. What does the future hold for you? Maybe the next week, the next month, the next six months, the next year. What does your future hold? What can you see happening? Is this, will this be a year well, of great things, of prosperity and happiness, of your family being settled, your kids going to school and enjoying it, your work going well, school being fun? <laughs> what does your future hold? Will it be a tough year? Was last year hard and you just can't possibly imagine how you're going to get through this one? Relationships breaking down. Work, well, maybe being made redundant. What does your future hold? Wouldn't we love to know the details? Wouldn't we love that, well, maybe actually, maybe we wouldn't. But see, God doesn't promise to tell us what's about to happen in that way. He doesn't tell us the details that we would like to know. He tells us the things that we need to know. As God speaks of the future that he will bring to happen, he tells us the things that we need to know. And I want to highlight three of them for you. Three things that God tells Daniel about the future and through him he tells us. Uh, you've got a, an outline in your handout if you want to take notes. Firstly, you need to know this. You need to know that God's people will suffer. You need to know that God's people will suffer. Now, we saw it in chapters 10 and 11 about Israel. These nations warring for hundreds of years, Israel getting caught in the middle, God's people being persecuted, suffering because of the wars of others. And in fact, we even heard that as Antiochus Epiphanes comes, this evil king, this regime that rises, he will purposefully persecute God's people, causing the abomination that causes desolation, sacrificing pigs in the temple, ceasing sacrifice, setting up idols. In chapter 11, verse 36, we read these words. No, it's not 36. Uh, let's try verse 30. Ah, that's because I'm Daniel 2. <laughs> that's what doesn't work. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 36. Here is the king who rises up. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful. In his persecution, he will set himself up as God and persecute God's people. Now that was Israel two and a half thousand years ago. That was Antiochus Epiphanes persecuting them there and then. What about us? Well, as we continue reading, we get to chapter 12. Now in chapter 12, we continue this message. The same prediction that is being spoken to Daniel continues in chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Excellent. Is the suffering going to end? Will the persecution cease? Is Michael going to... Well, there will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. The persecution doesn't end with Antiochus Epiphanes. It continues. And this isn't just a prophecy of the past, but it is also a prediction of the future. Now, we can say that because that's what Jesus does with this prophecy. 
uh, if you heard in Matthew, that second reading for us, Matthew 24, Jesus takes that prophecy given to Daniel that, that was fulfilled in Antiochus, it was fulfilled in the past, but he says it is still yet to be fulfilled. Let me read you the first few verses. Matthew 24 and verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, that which has already happened once, as spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let no one on the roof of his house go down, etc., etc. Here is a prophecy that was fulfilled, but that yet still is to be fulfilled. And we have to talk here about the, the idea that you can have multiple fulfilments of a prophecy. It can be true for the immediate one. It can also be true for a later one. A prophecy isn't fulfilled until it is filled full. Right? So you have multiple fulfilments of it. And Jesus may have been speaking of any number of things. He might have been speaking of the year 70 AD when the Romans came through and destroyed the temple again. I think that he was most definitely speaking of his own death. For what greater abomination is there than the Son of God nailed to a cross, the temple that is Jesus destroyed? And so he picks up the language, the Son of Man coming to, into the, to the presence of the Ancient of Days again as he comes back to life and enters heaven. But he's possibly also talking about the end of days. There's yet another tribulation to come and another time in which God's people will be persecuted. See, I take it that this is true of every age. Those people rise up who set themselves against God and against God's people and so we are persecuted. We suffer for Jesus. Those were Jesus' very words. He said, if they persecute the master, then how will they not persecute the disciples? We think that living a good life might mean we don't suffer. We're not persecuted for it. And yet they killed Jesus, the perfect man. God's people will suffer. Now I think that by and large, we've got it pretty easy. If we're honest with ourselves. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we don't suffer. We experience death. We experience relationship breakdown. We experience loss of work. We experience discomfort. We experience the things of this world that are part of living under God's curse. The whole world is fallen and we experience those things. But are we suffering? Are we persecuted because of the name of Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we should be masochists. Go out the door, find someone who will hit you over the head with a two-before because you're a Christian. right? You don't go looking for suffering. But do we? Now, Joe pointed out after the last sermon, it was very helpful, that partly why we don't suffer is because of the, the land we live in. We have a Christian heritage, so to live Christianly is, is kind of the norm. It, it's not out of place. Now, perhaps that will change. Perhaps the next decade, two, three, might see our nation moving further and further away from its Christian roots, where to own the name of Jesus may well mean suffering. But I also wonder if often we are indistinguishable from everyone else around us. We just blend in. We live exactly the same as everyone else. No one knows 
that we are one of Jesus' people. See, God's people will suffer. And that is you and me. And folks, if we don't suffer for Jesus' name, if we don't get put through the trial, where does our trust in Jesus come from? I feel like it will only ever be a light thing. It will only ever be... Well, deep trust comes through the need to trust. God's people will suffer. You need to know that. But you also need to know that God's people are safe. God's people are safe. See, God can predict the future because God controls the future. It's in his hand. And he protects his people. You notice again, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at that time Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. Or at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. God's people will suffer, but God's people are safe. Now, who is this Michael? Who is he? Uh, he's mentioned here, we, he's mentioned in chapter 12, chapter 10, sorry, we, we kind of didn't touch on that one too much. In chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, he's this mysterious figure who comes to the rescue of another mysterious figure who's being held back by the prince of Persia. Sounds like a video game. Um, so M- Michael seems to be somehow this angelic being who exerts power on behalf of God, perhaps in charge of the, the, the spiritual armies or some sort of physical, powerful, spiritual force that is exerted on God's behalf. And his role is to protect God's people. There's so much more going on than what we see, than what we know. We're, We're Western materialists. We love the world that we see and feel and touch. But there are angels battling it out that we may be protected. Now, I don't know if that means that each one of us has a guardian angel, I don't think that's the case. I, I, this is a general thing. There are, there are spiritual forces who guard God's people. Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like it's just you against the world? You're the only Christian in your family, perhaps. You're the only Christian in your neighbourhood. You're the only Christian at work. You're, the, you're, you're just alone as you battle You are not alone. You are not alone, for God is with you. You're in his hands. No matter what it feels like, you are not alone. God cares for you passionately. He cares for his children. And you know, the time of suffering, the time of distress, it won't last. It will be brought to an end. As this figure keeps speaking to Daniel... Let's read again from uh, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as hasn't happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And what a deliverance. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. The dead will rise, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. The time of suffering will finish. Maybe, maybe you're doing it tough right now. It, it may be something that's private and you haven't shared with others. Maybe it's public and you've got people around you who care for you. Perhaps you just can't imagine how you're going to survive this year. 
Well, know that the future is in no doubt, for God who controls it is for you. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we know that our future is assured, Paul says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is Paul speaking. This is the bloke who was beaten, who was robbed, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, who faced famine and danger and persecution. And he says our light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal glory that God has in store for us. God's people are safe. Now, of course, as we say that the time of suffering will end, the question is, well, how long? How long? How long do I have to put up with this for? That's the question that, thankfully, this character asks. Verse 6, one of them said to the man clothed in linen, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Excellent. Let's hear the answer. And the man clothed in linen who was above the waters lifted his right hand and his left hand, swore by all the power that he had towards heaven. I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, he will be for a time, times and half a time. Thank you very much. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. And Daniel, God bless him, I heard, but I didn't understand. What does it mean, time, times and half a time again? We keep coming up against these cryptic times. We get down to verse 11. <clears throat> there will be 1,290 days in between this and that, and we think, excellent, finally a figure we can hold on to, except that the next verse says, blessed is the one who reaches the 1,335 days. Well, which is it? 1,290, 1,335, or a time, times, and half a time. Again, I mean, you can. we talked about it the last couple of weeks. It's symbols. Symbols for the time being cut short. How long must we suffer for? Well, it's not seven. It's not the, the full time. It is cut short. For in God's timing, he will bring it to an end. So what do we do? What do we do? If God has told us that our future involves suffering, but our future is safe in his hands, what do we do? Well, the angel says to Daniel, get on with it. Get on with your life. Verse 9, he replied, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed. The prophecy is sealed. Or in verse 13, as for you, go your way till the end. Get on with life. Don't waste time trying to work out the details of what God is going to do in the future. And certainly don't bunker down and do nothing. Get on with your life. Knowing that you are safe in God's hands. And did you notice what that safety is? What the picture is of God's deliverance? Multitudes who sleep will awake to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens in verse 3. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So God doesn't promise us deliverance here and now. He doesn't promise that your sufferings now will end in this life. But he does promise that you are in his hand such that your resurrection and your eternity is guaranteed. Begun in Jesus, we have even more certainty than Daniel could have. The resurrection has begun in Jesus. 
If we are in him, then he's the first fruits of our resurrection to come. The third thing about the future then is that God's people must act in wisdom. We must be the wise ones here. Now the world says, wisdom, well, that's living for this reality. We have TV shows, they're healthy, wealthy and wise. and It's all about how to be wise now. And, and they talk about, well, it's about prosperity. And it's about popularity. And it's about power. And it's about pleasure. That, that, that is what wisdom looks like, live for the here and the now. And they think we are fools when we sacrifice things for a king that we can't even see. I found, I found uh, one little pearl of wisdom for you. I don't, think, I don't know if this is a quote that's attributed to Homer Simpson or it's about Homer Simpson, but it's so simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and then don't say it. Most of us can do that. What is wisdom according to God? What does it look like to live wisely according to God's wisdom? Well, firstly, it's relationship and resistance. Relationship and resistance. Uh, the bottom, the bottom right-hand one is an electrical resistor. If you get electrical engineers here, I couldn't. How would you, how would you picture resistance? I thought maybe someone pushing a wall. Ah, there you go. That's called a resistor. It stands for resistance. Relationship and resistance. Back in chapter 11, remember this is part of the same uh, prediction that's being given to Daniel. Back in chapter 11 and verse 32. This is one of the things that the angel said was going to happen. With flattery, this king will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. What does it mean to be wise? It means to know God and resist the world. Know God and resist the world relationship. What's your ambition for this year? This is the last Sunday in January. I promise this is the last time we'll talk about New Year's resolutions and all that kind of gear. What's your ambition? Actually, maybe I better not make that promise. Who knows what next week we'll bring. Might be a good one for it. What's your ambition? Is it to be healthier? Is it to earn a better wage? Is it to renovate the house, build a deck? Is it to move? Is it to look after the kids better? Is it to look after the grandkids better? Is it to improve your marriage? What's your ambition for this year? Will you make it to know God? Will you make that your ambition? To know God. To grow in relationship with him. To love him more. And James says, you can't serve two masters. You cannot love God and the world. And so the way to resist the world is to grow in knowledge and love of God. We must resist it. And you notice how this king goes about persecuting people? With flattery. We think, we think of it as persecution as I'm going to beat you up. Why doesn't flattery work so much better? Oh, you're so good at that. You, you, you're just amazing. You're the best at that thing. You know what? You, you could be even better if, if only you do this one little thing different. Just, just do this. Just Maybe put a little bit more time into it. You don't really need that long prayer time, that long Bible reading time. You, don't. you could come to work half an hour. I mean, you're amazing at it. You, you could be even... You. And flattery will often get us where outright opposition won't. What does it mean to be wise, to serve God, relationship and resistance? 
And secondly, trusting and telling. Trusting and telling. Now, we trust God rather than a group of people. We took the youth group leaders and the boys club leaders and the kids church leaders out for a, a team bonding day yesterday. And I hadn't seen this picture until today. Otherwise, maybe we could have made them do that. Maybe not. Trusting and telling. See, God's people are safe. There's the truth. God's people are in God's hand. And to be wise means to trust him in that. We are safe in Jesus. If you have repented of your sin, you've turned back to Jesus and you have placed your trust in him, then keep going with that trust, with that dependence. That is what it means to be wise. And of course, how could we not share? How could we not tell of that hope? Chapter 11 and verse 32. Uh, sorry, verse 33. Those who are wise will instruct many. Or again in chapter 12. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Do you want to know the future? God has told you the future this morning. God's people will suffer, but God's people are safe. You're going to do it tough, but you can know that your eternity is guaranteed in his hand what an extraordinary hope to share with others around us, to lead them to the same hope that we have. Well, where do we finish, Daniel? I think we finish with the words that are spoken to him in verse 13. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the, day, at the end of the days, you will, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. You will suffer, but you are safe. And so live wisely. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for Daniel. Thank you for this word of the future, showing him that the sufferings weren't yet over. Thank you that this prophecy is one that we can hold as well. As your people, persecuted for loving Jesus and serving him. Father, thank you that we are safe. That in Jesus we know his resurrection will bring ours. That his life will give us life. Father, thank you that you are in control. And so we ask, please, would we live wisely? Would we live as people who are in relationship with you, who know you and love you and so are able to resist the world? And as we hold firmly to our trust, may we tell others of the extraordinary thing that we have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.